Welcome back to the Banderpod, the artistic and awesome podcast of Bandersnatch Books. We're a small press publisher of treasures found off the beaten path for lovers of all that is good, true, and beautiful. I'm Annie Beth, and today I'm talking with Amanda Hebert Hughes about what inspired her to write her Why Does Mommy Say series. Amanda, welcome to the Banderpod. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Well, let's start off with a little overview of the Why Does Mommy Say series. Now, you have your most recent book that's about to come out. So let's talk about your most recent book first, and then you can go back and give us some information about the original. Okay, sure. Sounds good. What is the premise of your second book in the series, Why Does Mommy Say Wait? (laughs) You can begin to judge this book by its title and cover. It delivers what it says it's going to. It is a conversation about why we have to deal with this very frustrating boundary called weight during child development, human relationships, and just kind of demystifying that in a very nurturing, compassionate, empathetic way. So how do you accomplish getting this message across to both the children and the parents? It naturally came to me that It is a book about the child who's reading it. That's why there's no faces in this entire series. That's why the skin tones vary. It is a story about the readers. And I want every child to automatically take in that role and say, yes, this is the frustration that I have. And then the story just very naturally visits very familiar scenarios and connects the dots as to boundaries and love. I'm curious, has anyone ever told you they noticed that or do people seem to maybe that's a subconscious thing they they don't really realize that they're identifying with it because of, you know, the, of those subtle differences? Yeah, a lot of uh, adults who have reviewed my books, they do indicate on how inclusive that they are. The, the most memorable feedback I have about the, the No Faces was at a Matthews Alive festival that Bandersnatch Books was at, and I was there doing some readings. This precious four-year-old girl said, why aren't there any faces? And I said, it's because this is a story about you. And she goes, oh, she lit up immediately and was just amazed super memorable and always will be, but just seeing her face light up, that's really the main highlight. And the glorious thing about being an artist, an artist and an author is seeing people inspired and impacted by your work and seeing them respond to it. I even remember after I did a reading at a Bandersnatch Books event, um, one of the little ones just came up and hugged me afterwards to say goodbye. These experiences are just something that I never anticipated as being an author, and it's just the best. (laughs) I've got a story for you. Mm. (laughs) I was at the Great Homeschool Convention in Greenville, South Carolina last year, and a mom walked by our booth, and she pointed at your book, and she said, that is my son's favorite book. And she said she bought it the previous year at the same homeschool convention. And ever since then, 
They had read it every day. Oh. He's read that book every day for the past year. You know, not everybody's going to love everything we do, right? I'm, I'm an author and I'm there are people even in my own family who haven't read my book. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to understand that there will be people who don't. But what's amazing to me is that when the people who are impacted by what you've done like that, that makes it all worth it, in my opinion. Yes, you're right. I love that story. That's awesome. I hope we see her this year and we can tell her that we have another one. (laughs) So Amanda, how do you think being an autistic artist helps you be that person who understands what the child needs to understand or to to be able to learn the lesson or get the message across in, in your books? Yeah. So my being an openly autistic person, I really believe is the reason why this whole series exists. Um, I did not set out one day to write children's books. That's That was not ever me. I was actually a, a nanny. I was an on-call nanny. It was a job that I had high school through college where every day I'd go to a different household and take care of different children. And it was before, you know, we had smartphones and, you know, I could just scroll the whole time while the kids were napping just to pass the time, whatever. I had my journal with me. And I remember, I remember the house. I remember where I was. I remember the, the sweet little toddler I was watching that day. He was down for a nap and I had my journal. And in that moment, in that pastime, I felt compelled to spell it out. Let's, I want to, I'm going to spell out why mommy says no to children. I'm going to connect those dots for them. And being an autistic person, one of the most important survival methods is translating human behavior consciously because a lot of people naturally and subconsciously interpret human behavior and understand the implied meanings of things that are said, et cetera. But for me, it's very conscious. And so I saw the opportunity because this is how my mind was already working. I had no idea I was autistic at the time. My brain was ticking like this. I didn't know I had an autistic brain. I'm a late diagnosis autistic person. But even then, I knew these little minds would really benefit from having these dots connected for them. And so it was really just kind of a a natural overflow of uh, my care for children and my work with children and my lived experience, really. I've never really thought about this until just now. But to me, it seems there's a parallel between your visual art and your storytelling in that your visual art is sensory gated art. And in the storytelling, there's also sensory gating in that, like you said, you're connecting dots, you're focusing on the most important pieces and eliminating the distracting parts or what could be distracting parts of the story. You're putting it as plainly and as relatable, relatably as possible. You're right. It's it's just another form of autistic bluntness, which really is a very efficient form of communication. I paint that way in sensory-gated art, filtering it down to the core message. For autistic people, we have very brilliant working minds, but there's also a part of it where we're considering 
so many more possibilities of meanings. To me, it's very helpful and useful in communication to do that sensory gating. Yeah. So that kind of, that's like you have firsthand experience with how to do this, you know, because you're not, you're not someone who is, you know, trying to guess what might work, you know, because this is your lived experience. And so you're passing that on to the children through your work. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of that, we mentioned there is another book um, that's the first in this series, and that's Why Does Mommy Say No? That's the one you were talking about when you were being a nanny, being inspired to write. So Mm -hmm. Why Does Mommy Say Wait is our most recent publication. And then Why Does Mommy Say No is the first in the series. And that was your story of inspiration for Why Does Mommy Say No? Yeah. But is there anything you'd like to say about the two as like a, a series because they, they complement each other so well. They do. The word no is basically the most fundamental word connected to a boundary. That seemed to be the most obvious starting point. No defines boundary, period. I, I've, I've even met some moms who, when they heard the title of my book, they say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't say no. I don't use the word no. And my immediate thought is, no is not a bad word. No is the communication of a boundary. And if it's a healthy boundary, no is not a bad word in that instance. I hope the book can not only help children, but also helps cheer on the parents. Like, it's okay for you to say no. That's that's a form of love. Boundaries are a form of love. So it's okay, mom. It's okay, dad. This is a natural form of love. And, and then the, why does mommy say, wait, it's just, but yeah, they do work very well together. I highly recommend them because the more they, they all walk through unique scenarios where children often encounter these boundaries. It puts you there with the illustrations and you're there, you're, you're at the fair and you're having a picnic and, you know, all these lovely scenes where the guard is down and you can talk about this topic and receive it and process it in a, in a new way. Uh, and I think we've talked about this in relation to both your books and your art. There's something called universal design, mm-hmm. and it's for buildings, usually homes, buildings. In universal design, an environment is designed to be accessible to anyone with disability. But, but the result is that it's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to navigate for everyone. Right. And so once again, another piece of this is that your books are like universal design, right? Mm -hmm. They're not intentionally said like, this this is only for children. This is only for autistic children. This is only for, well, no, it's, it's like universal design. Yeah. If it's good for this group of people, it's good for everyone, right? Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love how you said that's true because even my paintings are being incorporated into the corporate universal design industry. How, how unsurprising that, you know, that overlaps even happening with my children's books, because my brain says, Hey, that's helpful. That's helpful. That's helpful. That's helpful. I'm going to put it together. And here is the children's book series. That's so cool. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It makes me think about the research that's coming out that neurodivergent brains, the things that work for them are things that actually work for well for everyone. And so the things that neurodivergent brains are 
sensitive to or harmed by are actually harmful for everybody. And so we're kind of this uh, very sensitive detectors to things that are helpful and things that are harmful. There's research by uh, Ludmilla Poslova, PhD, that's coming out this year called The Canary Code. And she says that neurodivergent brains are the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones that are first disabled by toxic things and toxic environments, et cetera. And so we should leverage and learn from them and apply the things that are helpful to them for everyone. Is there anything in particular about the book series that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure to let people know? There are tons of Easter eggs throughout all of my illustrations. I don't think I've actually sat down and done an inventory of them all. In the summary scene of Why Does Mommy Say Wait that's about to come out, there's a lot of bumblebees and they're very interested in the lemonade that they're having at the picnic. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the conversation, but it's there and it's something for kids to discover. And the bumblebees are just so cute. I think the bumblebees are adorable. But the backstory to that, too, is that uh, my daughter had a horrible fear of bees while I was illustrating that. And so I incorporated these adorable little bees into the scene just to help her endear to them a little bit more and just give a little... I guess, hat tip to that. But, you know, obviously people aren't going to know that, but there's so many Easter eggs to discover, even just by exploring it. I don't know if I should give away some of them so that people know to look for them. Should I give away one? Yeah, you can talk about it. Okay. So throughout the four scenes of Why Does Mommy Say Wait, each scene, there's four. So each scene um, is a different season. So You'll notice that, you know, the opening scene is one season. And then when we revisit that scene, so we go through four seasons. I wonder if people are going to know this. <laughs> they will now that they've heard this. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And uh, as a child, my sister and I had probably more my sister than me because she was younger than me. But we had the little critter books. And I always enjoyed finding the mouse and the spider in Little Critter. It was like my favorite part. I probably don't even remember all the what the books were about even I don't know what little critter was up to but I do remember having fun finding the mouse and the spider so (laughs) that type of thing is really appealing to me and I think kids in general just love it I think it makes them see how smart they are they just notice those things it made me feel smart when I was younger and I saw those things (laughs) yeah I love that okay so Amanda we've used the term sensory gated I think on here uh, a couple of times and I realize we have not defined that. Can you please give us a definition of sensory gated? Sensory gated art is inspired by the cognitive process of sensory gating. Every brain does it. It's how it filters out important information from the unimportant information as taken in through the five senses. So that is a sensory gated definition of sensory gating. <laughs> Great. So as you know, Bandersnatch Books publishes treasures that are found off the beaten path for lovers of all that is good, true, and beautiful. How do you see your books fitting into that mission? Oh, I can think of a bunch. I have to sensory gate it. That's a 
Great question. That's what I, one of the things I love about Bandersnatch books is, is that mission, you know, because in that is love is communication um, in different forms in, in beautiful ways. And I think that truth and love delivered through things that are beautiful are more received by the, by the soul and by the heart. They, they sink in deeper. They impact us longer. That is how I think that the White as Well May Say series and, and truth, it's true. It's true that boundaries are loving, whether we like that or not. Uh, boundaries are based on truth. And so we can't thrive if we ignore truth. Not all things that are good for us are always fun or always feel good, but there's a deeper reason. All right, Amanda, just for fun. Okay. Are you a dog person or a cat person? I'm a dog person for sure. I love dogs. Do you have any dogs? I do. I have two Yorkshire Terriers and they are barely trained. (laughs) (laughs) They're seven pounds each. So pick them up when they're misbehaving. It's terrible. (laughs) It does make it easier when the dog is, you know, pick up a bull and they're not 70 pounds and dragging you around. So they had, they have to be small because I'm a pretty small person. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, doggies don't uh, always appreciate why mommy says no either. Do they? No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They need to read your book. You should try that with them (laughs) or make a new one for dogs. (laughs) All right. So what is as an artist, because you are not just an author here, a fine artist. What is your favorite color? My favorite color is actually white. I like white. And it's not just because it's the color of a blank canvas and, you know, all the possibilities. It's not like that. I think white is, it's, a, it's an accent color. It's attention grabbing. It's neutral. Um, I, it's clean. I just like white. That makes sense. A lot of authors will tell you that they like the the side of a blank page. Well, some of them get scared at the side of a blank page, <laughs> but others feel inspired by the side of right. a blank page. So, right. Well, that is great. We really appreciate having you on the podcast today. And I know, like we just mentioned, you have a lot of other things going on. So where else can we find you besides on the Bandersnatch Books online store? Sure. So my website is pretty easy to find sensorygatedart.com, no spaces, sensorygatedart.com. That's where you can learn more about sensory gated art. If you want to follow my children's books links, which will drive you right to the Bandersnatch book store, you'll just click on writings. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can find those handles by the logos on my homepage. All right. Well, thank you. Hope you will find that you have a few more followers after they listen to this podcast. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> right, well, thanks for thanks for talking with us today, Amanda. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. You're welcome. May you find bookish treasures in your wanderings off the beaten path. Thanks for listening into our conversation today on the Banderpod. We hope you'll check out our full catalog at bandersnatchbooks.com. The Banderpod is produced by Rachel S. Donahue, A.B. Donahue, and Carolyn Claire Gibbons. Audio engineering by S.D.G. Morgan. 
artwork by Evelyn Warnamundi. Many thanks to our friend Chris Slayton of Son of Laughter for our theme song, Cricket in a Jar. Find links and more in the show notes. All right, listeners, before we sign off today, we need your help. We've been told we should name the Beastie on our Banderpod logo, and we'd love to hear your suggestions. Leave us a note in the comments for this episode on Substack. That's at bandersnatchbooks.substack.com or as a comment on one of our Instagram or Facebook posts for this podcast. We're going to pick our favorites and then we're going to do a poll letting you, our beloved readers and listeners, have the last word. In the meantime, may you find bookish treasures in your wanderings off the beaten path. Ta-ta!